0: So this morning, I'll be starting a new series, which I have titled Israel in the Plan of God. And we'll be looking at Israel past, present, and future. And my hope is that it will serve as a good foundation for a study in the book of Revelation, which deals with judgments, catastrophic judgments on the Gentile nations of the world and judgments upon Israel. In what is called the time of Jacob's trouble, Jacob being Israel. And that will be a tribulation period lasting seven years. For as long as I have been a Christian, there's been a lot of interest in Bible prophecy among believers. Not a lot of agreement, but a lot of interest. And that interest continues today as books continue to be written on the subject, prophecy conferences are well-attended, and it seems like the world itself is on the verge of a big event. And you can hear about that every time you turn on the news. People are talking about World War III. They're talking about the world heading toward Armageddon. And the saying, if you want to know the future, read your Bible, that's true. But the Bible requires interpretation, and that is why you have so many different views when it comes to Bible prophecy. I found that many Christians avoid reading the book of Revelation because it's hard to understand, and it doesn't seem like it's very profitable for them. But I like reading the book of Revelation for some people to to jumping into a swimming pool, the deep end of a swimming pool, when you don't know how to swim. You have not learned how yet. So the key to understanding the future, in my opinion, is understanding God's redemptive plan for mankind in need of salvation and how that plan would be accomplished, beginning really with one man named Abraham. Before Abraham, we have 11 important chapters in the Bible, which all Christians must understand. And I know you've already covered this in Sunday School, so this is a little bit of repetition. But it really, truly is important that you know Genesis 1 through 11. Four key events are revealed in those chapters. Creation, fall, flood, and nations. That's the outline. God began with one man, Adam, who was created in his image. And Adam's failure to obey God ushered sin into this world and death, as the scripture says, because of sin. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Genesis 2.17, God issued the command of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you will eat it, you will surely die, but look at genesis six four which is right alongside this verse. What did Satan do? He came in and he said to the woman, "You will not surely die, so there you have truth, and there you have error. You have a truth, and you have a lie from the satan john Jesus said in john six forty four Satan was a murderer from the beginning." And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And it all began back there in Genesis. And Genesis 1 through 11 also reveals four major judgments. Four major judgments. The judgment on Adam and Eve, they were cast out of the garden. The judgment on the serpent who was cursed. The judgment on a world full of sin in Genesis chapter 6. The worldwide flood. And then the judgment at Babel ending with the formation of nations as God scattered the people all across the world. Genesis eleven eight says, so the Lord scattered them from abroad. From there, over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Those four judgments reveal the seriousness of sin. They reveal the deadly consequences of sin. Then you get to this monumental chapter in the Bible, Genesis chapter 12, and the call of Abraham. And the covenant that God would enter into with this man. How significant is Abraham to God's plan of redemption? Think about it in the book of Genesis. God devotes two chapters to creation. One chapter to the fall. Eight chapters of human history from Adam to Abraham. Then 15 chapters specifically about Abraham and 25 chapters about his descendants. You cannot know the Bible unless you understand what God did and continues to do through the calling of Abraham and his descendants. You cannot know your Bible without understanding Israel's plan in Israel's role in the plan of God—it's it's critical to unlocking the key to the Scriptures. The first mention of this historic figure, Abraham, who was called Abram to begin with, is in Genesis chapter eleven. He is revered by three religions: Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. And says in Genesis eleven six now, Terah lived 70 years and he begot Abraham, whose name means exalted father, Nahor and Haran. And in Genesis 17, his name is changed from Abram to Abraham, the father of a multitude. So, from exalted father to the father of a multitude. And that multitude, that multitude, is the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. Now, Abraham lived, it says, in, in Acts chapter 7-2. He lived in what was called Ur of the Chaldees. And he, Stephen, said, Brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran. And he said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. And this is just a little picture here to help you see where this was. This is the land of the Chaldeans or the ancient Sumerians, and right down here, Persian Gulf. Here you have Ur of the Chaldees. This is this is Babylon, ancient Babylon. You have the Tigris and the Euphrates river, and then you have the fertile crescent here, and Abraham would have traveled from Ur all the way up through here to Haran, Iran, until his father died in Iran, and then he would come back down this way and eventually into the land of Israel. Abraham was a wanderer, wasn't he? And one of the one of the things that has been said about the Jews is that they're the wandering people, the wandering Jew, just like Abraham. Ur was the capital of the Chaldean Empire. It was a very advanced city. And the ruins of Ur, if you looked at that map, are located about 220 miles from Baghdad in southern Iraq. And in that region of Ur, there were ziggurats. And I think we have a picture here of one of the large ziggurats. Kind of interesting, isn't it? You can see all the steps made, of, made out of mud bricks going up to the top of this ancient pyramid. or It's like a pyramid structure, but it's called a ziggurat. According to Old Testament scholar Michael Heiser, The Tower of Babel was a ziggurat and is regarded by all scholars as one of Mesopotamia's famous man-made sacred mountains. Ziggurats were divine abodes. They were believed to be divine abodes, places where Mesopotamians believed heaven and earth intersected at that point. They wanted to build a tower to reach the heavens. The nature of this structure makes evident the purpose in building it to bring the divine down to the earth. So it was a worship, it was a place of uh, the worship of false gods. Ur was steeped, Ur the Chaldees was steeped in the pagan worship of false gods. And the chief god in Uran, where Abraham journeyed with his father Terah and waited there until he died, the chief god there was the, was Nana. The, the, the God of the moon. Joshua 24 2 says, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. They served other gods. But God would call this one man Abram. Out of this idolatrous place, to serve Him, to renounce His idolatry, idolatry, and to give testimony to the whole world of the one true God. And the Shema of Israel in Deuteronomy six four would be: "Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one." Every Orthodox Jew, in their daily prayers, recites the creed of the Rabbi Maimonides, which says, I believe with the complete faith that the Creator, blessed be His name, is one, and there is no unity like Him in any manner whatsoever, and He alone is our God, who was, who is, and who shall be. So God chose Abraham, and he established with Abraham an unconditional covenant that is spelled out in Genesis chapter 12 and the first few verses. It's unconditional in the sense that God will see it through to the end. He will accomplish it. It cannot fail. But it is conditional in the sense that an individual may forfeit his place in it. Genesis 12.1. Would you turn in your Bibles to Genesis 12.1? And then you could fill in the blanks on these covenant promises. I know you've read this probably dozens and dozens of times, but it should be etched upon your memory. You should know this actually by heart. Now the Lord God said to Abraham, get, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. As I said, he is revered by three religions, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So here are the five promises that God spelled out to Abraham there he would be great personally, he would be renowned or revered. Secondly, he would receive a land to dwell in, Canaan. God said the land would extend from the river of Egypt as far as the great river Euphrates and even further in the millennial kingdom. He said that his descendants would become a great nation. He said that those who bless Abram and his descendants would be blessed and those who curse him would be cursed. And history has revealed this to be true. And then fifth, he said, a Jewish Messiah would come from the loins of Abraham, who would be the one who would bless all people, the whole earth. Now, the physical blessings that God promised to Israel were limited to Israel under the covenant and the the other covenants that follow. The spiritual blessings, however, were to extend to the Gentiles, but only through the Messiah of Israel. And this is the main reason why I believe Satan so hates the Jews. Jesus was Jewish. He was born under the law to a Jewish virgin. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. So anyone can be saved. By faith in Christ, they become the Son of God. Immediately upon his birth, Herod tried to kill kill the Messiah, kill Jesus. And his family, being warned in a dream, had to flee to Egypt. So make no mistake about it. The author of anti-Semitism, the hatred of the Jewish people, is Satan. And he hates him because God chose Israel as his special possession, the apple of his eye, to bless the world. Satan hates Israel and the Jewish people because God would use them to bring the blessing to the whole world. And ever since the Lord promised the coming Redeemer, in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 15, the first proclamation of the gospel in the Bible is found in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Satan has worked to corrupt and to destroy Israel. He desires to rule the earth. He hates the coming world ruler from the line of David who will actually rule the earth. And Satan's hatred for for. Israel is continues to this day six times in their history the nation of Israel was on the verge of annihilation complete destruction and from the egyptians from the assyrians from the babylonians from the persians from the greeks and from the romans those six nations wanted to utterly destroy them. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 9, and if you could look there, Romans chapter 9, verse 1. I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, including the Abrahamic covenant, which we just cited, the giving of the law, the moral decalogue, the service of God, the priesthood. And all of the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came. There's your reason for, paramount reason for anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism. Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. Now the promises that God gave to Abraham included a land grant a land grant, what we know as the Holy Land, the land of Israel. And Leviticus 25, 23 says that the land belongs to God. The land belongs to God. And he gave ownership of the land of Canaan unconditionally to the descendants of Abraham and to no one else, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob and their descendants. And he says in Genesis chapter 17, verse 7 and 8, that it is going to be an everlasting possession. He gave the land of Canaan to Israel, what we call the Holy Land. It is not the land of Palestine. Genesis 17:7. 7, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be god to you and your descendants after you also i give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger all the land of canaan as an everlasting possession and i will be their god the jewish people have maintained their connection to this historic homeland for more than 3,700 years. When Abraham journeyed in the land, he built four altars to the Lord. At Shechem, at Bethel, at Hebron, and Jerusalem. And Jerusalem has been the capital city since 1000 BC, the time of David. A later covenant, the Mosaic covenant of Deuteronomy chapter 28 through 30, stipulated conditions for Israel to be blessed in the land that God gave them. And God also told them they would be exiled for disobedience, but they would be regathered to the land in the last days. The first regathering would be in unbelief. The second regathering, would see one third of the nation come to the Lord Messiah. Now I'm going to I'm going to put these this up here, on on this map here, and you're going to see these the cities. Shechem, Shechem is where Abraham built an altar when he came into the land, and Shechem would be right up here. You see this? This is the West Bank. This is under Palestinian Authority control. All of the West Bank. Here's Gaza. Here's where all the fighting is going on now. Here, this was the land of the ancient Philistines, the mortal enemy of Israel. Now Gaza, Hamas, is the mortal enemy of Israel. So he goes here, and he and, and at Shechem, I says it's Nablus, Nablus in 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 the West Bank, in Palestinian territory. When Hamas attacked Israel on October seventh. The Palestinians celebrated in the city of Nablus. Massive celebration. Bethel. Bethel. Ancient Bethel. He built an altar in Bethel. Where can we find Bethel here? Ramallah. Where's Ramallah? Ramallah. Right here. Ancient Bethel. Just just think about it. Where Abraham built these altars, what's happened? Bethel is adjacent to the city of Ramallah. The terrorist, Yasser Arafat, made Ramallah the capital of the Palestinian Authority. His minister of culture staged a festival in Ramallah in 1996 in honor of the Canaanite god Baal. And they issued a postage stamp with Baal's picture on it because they were trying to make a connection to the ancient land of the Canaanites and the Canaanites worshipped Baal. But they wanted to identify themselves with that land. Ebron. Ebron is another city. Right down here. The city of the patriarchs. That's what it's called. Ebron has been under attack at different times going back to 1929 when they radical Islamists killed 135 Jews and wounded 300. In 1929, they broke into homes. They broke open the doors. They came down through the roofs. They murdered. They pillaged. They violated people. They broke into the synagogues and tore up the scrolls of the law. Sounds like Hamas on October 7th. Nothing new. When it comes to Satan's hatred for the Jews. And then Jerusalem. You could see Jerusalem on that map. Jerusalem was where Mount Moriah was located. The Temple Mount. The Holy Mount. The Palestinian Authority has tried to erase all traces of Jewish history on the Temple Mount. They have a large mosque there which holds 10,000 people who come together and worship the false god Allah in the very heart and soul of Israel. All of these places where Abraham built altars, claiming the land and worshiping to God, they have desecrated these places. What are Palestinian supporters saying today? From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. You know what that means? From the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, we will wipe Israel off the face of the map. That's what that means. And don't let anybody tell you it means anything else. It's a call for the annihilation of the state of Israel. They chant that because they believe That Israel is their land. Their land. I'm going to read you something very interesting. All right. This is written by Yosef Jacobson, commenting on Israel and the connection to the land. And he says this the great 11th century biblical commentator, Rashi Rabbi Solomon Yitzchaki, one of the great greatest sages in the history of the jewish people ask the following question in his commentary on the opening verse of genesis in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth now listen he wrote this in the 11th century 11th century he says if the hebrew bible is a book of jewish theology and law why does it begin with the story of creation and not proceed immediately to the story of the exodus and the first mitzvah given to the Jews, Rashi, who wrote these words, as he wrote these words as Christian crusaders were attempting to purge the land from Muslim rule. And in the process, they violently persecuted the Jews. So he gives this answer. One day in the future, Rashi says, back in the 11th century, the nations of the world will turn to the Jewish people and declare, You are thieves. You have stolen the land of Israel from non Jewish tribes. So he asks, What ought to be the appropriate Jewish response? To answer this question, the Bible commences a text commences its text with the story of creation of the universe that this in order to grant the Jew the best and truest answer to the accusation that he is a thief that he stole the land that he is abandoned the entire universe the Bible is saying from Genesis 1 1 belongs to God he created it every piece of land belongs to him He owns all the cattle on a thousand hills, and the hills too. And he chose to give the land of Israel to the Jewish people. He gave it to Israel. And he says it will be theirs forever. In an everlasting covenant. Promise. Now why did God choose Israel? As his special possession. Why call this idolater Abraham? Take him out of Ur the Chaldees. Bring him into the land that God chose for him, where he built these four altars in dedication to the Lord. Number one, God chose Israel to demonstrate his love and faithfulness. The phrase, the God of Israel, appears 203 times. In the Bible. The God of Jacob. 25 times. Jacob stands for Israel. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 6. Deuteronomy 7 6. I call these people from all the people of the world. To be his special possession. To be a holy nation. Holy means separated. So he separated them from all the peoples of the world. And he says in Deuteronomy 7, 6, For you are holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. A special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who was going to annihilate them. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is a faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations. As we read in that psalm this morning, his mercy endures forever with those who love him and keep his commandments. Secondly, God demonstrated his love to all nations through Israel. Not only his love and faithfulness to Israel, but to all the nations, his love and his faithfulness to all those who would be in Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.16 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. You have you have three entities in the scripture, the Jews, the Gentiles, and the church of God. Church of God is composed of saved Jews and saved Gentiles. That the blessing might come. Let me read this again. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles, always in Christ Jesus. Always in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. How? How would we receive the promise? The blessings of salvation, just as Abraham was saved. Through faith. Through faith. That's how Abraham was saved. It's always been God's plan of salvation. There's never been two different plans of salvation, just one. God saves people through faith. Genesis 15.1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Praise God for that, right? He's our protector. He was Abraham's protector. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. But Abraham said, Lord, God, what will you give me? seeing that I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Then Abraham, and God said, Abraham, look, or Abraham said, look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. This is the way it looks to me. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this one will not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body will be your heir. And then he brought him outside and he said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And then Genesis 15, 6. And he believed, he believed in the Lord and it was credited to him for righteousness. His faith is what saved him. His faith in the promise of God. He didn't have all the revelation we have looking back. But he had faith in the word of God and what God said him. God had told him. And we're saved the very same way, are we not? Romans chapter 4. I'm not going to take the time to read the first couple of verses. But we're saved the very same way. Through faith. And when we, we have faith. In the promise of God and and the promise that he gave concerning the Messiah who would come, the Bible says, the righteousness of Christ is given to us. It's imputed to us. Abraham was an amazing individual. Not perfect. He had his moments of failure like we all do. But he was a man of faith. Yeah, just thinking more and more about that. How much do you really trust God? We live in some terrible times. It's going to get much worse. It may be frightening times. How much do you trust God? How much are you trusting God with your family? With your children? With the things you have? With the things you don't have? How much are you trusting for him to supply all of your needs according to his riches and grace in Christ Jesus? With your future? Where you're going? What you will be doing there? Who will take care of you? What obstacles will you face? How much are you trusting God? With your health? With every single thing that you have? By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place that he would receive as an inheritance. Abraham, go to a land that I will show you. And he stepped out in faith, seeing virtually nothing but desert. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country. You know what that means? He was standing alone. And I really believe that you can stand alone by faith if God calls you to do something that he wants you to do that seems impossible and all the odds are against you. He dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. That wasn't his place. That wasn't the place the Lord had for him. And he dwelt in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of the same promise. For he waited for the city that had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Listen, aren't we waiting for that? How many times have you heard it said, this is not your home? And the ultimate proof that this world is not your home is, there is nothing in this world that can ultimately satisfy you. There is nothing in this world that could ultimately give you the greatest desire of your heart. Your wife can't give it to you. Your husband can't give it to you. Your your kids cannot give it to you. Your country cannot give it to you. Your your wealth cannot give it to you. We long for God. That's what Abraham longed for. He wanted to see a city whose builder and maker is God. Brothers and sisters, we are going to see that city. We're going to be there. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, you will be also. And John saw the heavenly city coming down from heaven. We are going to be there. Don't get too caught up in this world. It's not your home. He waited for the city that had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Thirdly, God continues to demonstrate his trustworthiness through Israel, even though they have been a a disobedient people. Their history is a history of disobedience. Nehemiah cataloged it. Stephen cataloged it in Acts chapter 7. Paul cataloged it in his writings. What, What Satan couldn't do by force, annihilate the Jews outwardly. He tried to destroy by corruption. Inwardly, corrupt the nation. Jeremiah 31, 35 says, Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for a light by day. And what I, my point here is that even though in spite of their disobedience, God continues to show his faithfulness through Israel. There is no reason why this nation should ever be, even be here today. When we go through this series, I intend to show you some miraculous things that only God could have done to keep this nation alive. To restore a language that had been dead for a thousand years. The revival of the Hebrew language. To bring them in against all odds into their own land. To cause them to flourish. The desert to bloom like a rose. It's all God. It's all his doing. Jeremiah 31, 35, thus says the Lord who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinance of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. And then God said this, if those ordinances, the sun and the moon, if those ordinances depart From before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel will also cease from being a nation before me forever. They're still in the heavens. Amen? They're still in the heavens. People say, people fear. And I, you know, Israel has Hamas to the south. Wants to wipe them off the face of the earth. They have the Palestinian West Bank territory to the west. They rejoice at Israel's slaughter. They are no friends of of Israel. If they take over control of the Gaza Strip, you think it's going to be any better for Israel? And then in the north, they have a mosque. And everybody's, they're going to be wiped out. No, they will not. Because God said, as long as those ordinances in, are in the heavens, Israel will continue to be a nation. The Lord of hosts has said it. You know what the whole Lord of hosts means? The Lord, the Hebrew word "hosts" is Sebioth, Sebioth. And that variant occurs 200, that name, Sebioth, or its variant, occurs 284 times in the Old Testament Scriptures. And it refers to the armies of heaven. The Lord of hosts is the God of angelic armies. Now, with that on your side, no one is going to defeat you. The Lord of hosts is his name. God swore by his own name and his almighty power that Israel will stand forever. And he will bless those that bless them, and he will curse them who curse them. Psalm 46.7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Herman Bavinck called the Lord of Hosts the King, in the fullness of His glory, who surrounded by unlimited hosts of angels governs the whole world as the Almighty. Isaiah forty seven four, as for our Redeemer, the Lord of Hosts is His name, the Holy One. Of Israel. I want to mention, lastly, in closing, that God chose Israel, not only to to be a blessing to the whole world, to bring the to bring the the truth, the light of the Messiah to the Gentiles, but God chose Israel to bring His Word to the world. You come in here, you have a Bible. There's Bibles everywhere. There's Bibles all over the world. There's Bibles in all kinds of languages all over the world. Miraculously g- given by the inspiration of God. Miraculously preserved by the power of God. And brought to us, brought to us through the Jewish people. you think Satan doesn't hate that too? Romans 3, 1. What advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Of being a Jew. Much in every way. Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. It's a Jewish Bible, friends. It's a Jewish Messiah. And one day we're going to be with the Jewish people in the land of Israel. You may not want to go there now, right? But I can assure you, you will be there one day. You will see the land of Israel in all its glory with Jesus, the Lord Jesus Ruling and reigning on the throne in Jerusalem. Are you waiting for that? Doesn't that get you excited? So, what do you do now? Israel was called to be a light to the Gentiles, they failed in many ways. We are called to be a light to the world. We're to share this gospel, that salvation comes only through faith in Jesus. We're to share this with people everywhere. May God give us the courage. May God give us the wisdom to do that.